Hey, hey, Cassandra, we're uh, we're about to record. You should sit down. Norman. Yes. What do your elf eyes see? Uh, um, our our mics. No, no, you're supposed to say they're taking the podcast to Isengard. We, we've 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 been there all, several times yeah, but already. No, like for reals this time. <laughs> what do you, what do you what do you mean for reals this time? Well, you know the trees and the orcs and the 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 wizard and we're we're taking the podcast to Isengard. Will there be stupid fat hobbits? Yes. Okay, I'm in. Oh, okay. That was easy. <laughs> I was I had this whole sales pitch that you know there's potatoes and you, you know, got to boil them, <laughs> mash them, <laughs> stick them in a stew. There, there were also going to be, you know, some crunchable horses. Um, we're back. <laughs> With season two, our yes. continuing coverage of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. This time we're talking about Two Towers. Join us on Dueling Genre every Monday through Friday to talk about Lord of the Rings one minute at a time. We're from Lord of the Rings Minute. Leave now and, and never come back. No, please come back. <laughs> And welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're talking about Jen and Kira from the film The Dark Crystal. And joining the discussion is returning guest Lena English. Welcome, Lena. Hello. Uh, thank you for joining us on this episode. And the timing actually aligned very well, thanks to a suggestion from your husband, Nick, uh, for <laughs> drop this episode. Uh, about the Dark Crystal because Netflix is going to be airing or or uh, dropping their own prequel series of ten episodes uh, at the end yes. of the month. This episode is coming end out. Of so that's, that yeah. was the timing for this. When Nick suggested it to me, I thought to myself, I don't know that I've actually seen all of the Dark Crystal in my life. <laughs> and then he's like, Lena knows it a lot. You know, Lena does it really well. So I was like, <laughs> Oh great! Can we have Lena come on, please? <laughs> <laughs> well, now I have a lot to live up to. Yeah. So um, I remember being aware of the Dark Crystal. Um, I think I read about it whenever I read about Jim Henson more than I ever saw it because I, I love Jim Henson. And even as a, you know, a teenager, I, I read some stuff about him and I kept coming across the Dark, the Dark Crystal, uh, but I had never seen the whole thing. Watching it, I realized I've probably seen about three quarters of it in sections in my life. <laughs> Just um, not all at once. Yeah, not, not all at once. What about you, though? What's your experience with the Dark Crystal? You know, I was thinking about that today, and I actually don't remember when I saw it for the first time, because it came out two years before I was born, and so it's not like I would have remembered it in theaters or anything, but I've just always been a really big Jim Henson fan, and so at some point it came across my radar, and I'm not even sure if I liked it all that much to begin with, but I just really sort of gravitated toward it. It has um, a very different aesthetic than the Muppet Jim Henson universe, uh, much more closely aligned with the Labyrinth Jim Henson uh, aesthetic. Yeah, it's definitely in there with the creature shop and not necessarily Muppets. Yes. Uh huh. Um, but I, it was re actually really fun to see um, his style of storytelling uh, translated into a slightly different tone. 
Um, and it still contained one of my favorite parts of watching most Jim Henson things is the moments where you pause and you're like, how did they do that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> this movie is very visually stunning in that way. Yes. Um, and so for anyone who's not familiar, The Dark Crystal is a 1982 film directed by Jim Henson and Frank Oz. It tells the story of Jen, a gelfling, on a quest to restore a broken shard from a magical crystal to restore balance to his world. The screenplay was by David O'Dell, based on a story by Jim Henson. Jen was voiced by Stephen Garlick, puppeteered by Jim Henson, and performed by Kiran Shah. There are a few shots where um, it's not a puppet, where it's, it's someone like having to climb, and in the foreground there's puppet work happening yeah. with other characters. Uh, but it uh, w- would have been too difficult to work out how the puppetry could make someone climb up a wall or something like that, and that's where Kiran Shah uh, stepped in. Uh, Lisa Maxwell voiced Kira, uh, and Kira was puppeteered by Catherine Mullen and performed by Kiran Shah. Same thing in a few shots. They needed um, her to be able to do something that puppets could not do very, very well or very easily, I suppose. Um, Some trivia about The Dark Crystal. It made a bit more than $40 million at the box office, which was profitable for the Jim Henson Company, but not like a huge success. Not like, oh, we've made it or anything like that. Um, It was fairly well received by critics. It has a 78% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. um, And uh, that combination of like, you know, mostly positive reaction and all right at the box office. um, it could have been a film that is forgotten, but it definitely gained a cult following um, in, in the years since its release. It's uh, 37 years since it came out. I can do the math on that because it came out the year I was born. So no, <laughs> no pressure on that math. Um, 25 years after the film was made, the screenwriter, David O'Dell, wrote a sequel um, based on memories of conversations with Jim Henson when they were working on the original film. And Jim was talking about possible sequel ideas that he had. And so he was remembering some of those as seeds of ideas for, for an entire film. And he wrote the screenplay and it was officially announced and it had a director attached. It was a uh, Garen Tartofsky, the guy who did the awesome mm-hmm. Clone Wars cartoon. <laughs> um, oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was. Yes, there it is. Thank you. I didn't have the name in front of me. And all of a sudden I was drawing a blank on all the syllables that were needed there. Um, He was announced as the director, but it just lingered in pre-production forever without ever actually moving to production. And eventually it was officially announced this isn't going to happen. But then the screenplay was adapted into a comic book miniseries. And speaking of, there is a lot of other media set in the world of Dark Crystal. More than I realized. (laughs) Um, So there have been novels comic books, board games, a video game, a manga. Um, it, it had a um, a wider storytelling impact than I had realized before I was looking up the trivia on it. Yeah, have when we realized that they had a... Oh, um, actually, haha. Um, I have the three um, prequel books, the trades, mm-hmm. and then... Um, but I don't have any of the uh, single comic book series. But we... As soon as we found out there was any sort of I don't know anything else on Dark Crystal. Nick was like, you have to have this and proceeded (laughs) to buy me all of them as soon as he could find them. And so I haven't had a chance to read through all of them. My comic reading time is limited, I guess. Um, But I have. I know you have young children and that always kind of saps the free time. Yeah. Let's just let's just say that it's the kid's fault all the time. Uh, (laughs) But I have at least looked through all of them and the artwork is beautiful. Nothing is lost in here. It's intricate. It's it's in depth. It's just it's beautiful. And so even if you weren't necessarily interested in the movie, you may still be interested in the comics. 
Yeah. Uh, and uh, one that was interesting to me that I saw um, in the late 70s and early 80s, Marvel Comics did lots of um, film adaptations, uh, licensed properties. They do far fewer licensed properties now uh, than they did then. But the, um, they they did a Dark Crystal adaptation in 1982, like right right when the oh. movie was coming out. Um, but the, the it's a different publisher. Uh, is Archaea Press has been doing the recent um, Dark Crystal uh, comic book publications. And as we noted a little bit earlier, uh, at the end of August 2019, Netflix is going to be releasing a 10-episode prequel series called The Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance. And I looked into it, and it will be done with puppetry by Jim Henson Studios. Yes, have so. you happened to seen that article going around that shows all the voices that are attached to the show? I saw it had some big names. <laughs> um, but I, 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 I wish yeah. I had grabbed that before we started recording, but it is, it's insane. There's like between 10 and 20 like A-list A actors that are signed on to do all kinds of voices for it. So I'm quite excited because I have mixed reviews, I guess, or mixed emotions when it comes to um, very top celebrities doing voices and these types of things because they don't tend to try and change their voice. And so it is very obvious that there's this one particular actor in this scene. Mm -hmm. And this is such an otherworldly fantasy show that I don't want to be brought out of that by thinking, hey, that's this actor every time they talk. And uh, okay. the original movie is has so little dialogue, all things considered, that ha even just having that many characters with speaking roles just is already just gigantic. Okay, so I just I looked it up. And yeah, there's a lot of very recognizable names on this list. So Taron Egerton is going to be uh, the main character. But then uh, amongst it, it's a fairly large cast so they've listed here. Um, names that are popping up. Mark Hamill is going to be uh, doing a voice. Right? Helena Bottom right? Carter, Carter, Andy Samberg. Um, Simon Pegg, uh, Toby Jones, Mark Strong, uh, Aquafina. <laughs> so, uh, qu quite That's a lot. That's going to be great. Uh, Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> um, so, uh, it seems like they, uh, Netflix, um, was using some of the Netflix money <laughs> in order to yeah, secure. Right. Pulled out all the stops. <laughs> yeah. A good voice, voice cast for this. Um, all right. Well, before we move on to a full spoiler summary of this, we want to thank you for downloading this episode and thank you for listening. And we especially want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you would like to support us on uh, financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers and give monthly up updates on our fantasy box office. And all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss now a full spoiler synopsis of the dark crystal on the planet of thra a magical crystal cracked and two new races appeared on the planet the evil skeeks as it skeeksis i'm trying to remember how it was pronounced it's skeksis skeksis there it is all right evil skeksis and the kind uru uh who are also called the mystics and we jump ahead to the present day, and there is a Gelfling, which is another species that was on the planet, named Jen, who has been raised by the mystics. And he's told by his master that he needs to heal the crystal. A shard of the crystal is with a woman named Agra, who is a fantastic character. Uh, and if Jen um, can't find the shard to heal the crystal, the... Uh, say it one more time. Skeksis. Skeksis. There it is. There's a lot of weird spelling in these words. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I had pulled up the uh, uh, um, the the Dark Crystal wiki to to spell all these, and they're not all phonetic. <laughs> uh, the Skeksis will rule forever, and uh, the Emperor 
of the Skeksis dies and there's a duel to choose a new emperor and the master of these beetle monster things called the Gartham wins that duel. Um, the other one who was dueling with him it was called the Chamberlain and he loses and is exiled. And uh, this, one more time. I've completely lost on it. Skeksis. Skeksis. Now it's at the <laughs> point where like, I'm going to say it right. And then I'm like, oh, you've always said it wrong. So you need to say it differently. <laughs> and so I panic. Uh, this happens like every semester when I have new students. And there's a student whose name is spelled a little bit different. names. And, yeah. And uh, and like I, if I mess it up the first two times from then on, I panic anytime I'm about to say it out loud. It's just it's, it's never correct. But I do have <laughs> yeah. to add one little thing. It's um, Chamberlain is not the Chamberlain. His name is Chamberlain. Oh, his name is Chamberlain. Okay. Yes. Thank you for clarifying that. So Chamberlain is exiled. Um, so they see a vision of uh, that Gelfling gem, and they know that there's a Gelfling trying to unite the crystal, and this causes some panic. Jen finds Agra, and she shows him several shards, but he plays a note on his flute that causes the correct shard to vibrate. The Gartham attack, those are the beetle monsters, and they're trying to capture the Gelfling that they know is there, but they capture Agra instead of Jem. Uh, the mystics hear the call of the crystal, the mystics being that other race uh, that had raised Jen. Uh, and when they hear this call of the crystal, it means that they know they have to leave their valley and travel to the castle where uh, the Skeksis have the main part of the crystal. Traveling through a swamp, Jen meets Kira, another Gelfling. When they touch hands, they share memories and see how they each escaped the deaths of their families and were raised by another race. The Gartham um, are taking Agra to the Skeksis. Ske- Am I saying it right? Now I'm still still very worried skexies it's a long there eye. It is. <laughs> ah i just wish i'd done it phonetically on on this script here all right the garden takes the agra <laughs> to the skexies who quickly realize she is not a gelfling so uh they send the gartham out again kira takes jen to her village where there are a race called the podlings who had raised kira but the gartham attack and though kira and jen escape most of the podlings are kidnapped the next day jen and kira find an abandoned in Gelfling City. Jen finds a prophecy. When single shines the triple sun, what was sundered and undone shall be made whole. The two made one by Gelfling hand or else undone. Chamberlain uh, shows up and says that's the prophecy is why the Skeksis have been hunting and killing Gelflings. Chamberlain asks Jen and Kara to return with him to the castle so they can make peace. But wisely, Jen and Kara are suspicious of this and they run away. They travel um Though, I mean, even though they're running away from him, they are traveling to the Skeksis castle because that's where the crystal is. Uh, And they see the Gartham who are carrying podlings that were kidnapped and they try to rescue them. Uh, In this process, they're knocked down a cliff. But fortunately, Kira has wings. No one knew this until this moment. And that allows them to land softly. Uh, And they find caves that take them under the castle. Uh, However, Chamberlain is still following them. And he meets up with them and asks if he can take them to the Skeksis. Jen stabs Chamberlain's hand. And we see one of the mystics has a wound open up on his hand. The, the, the mystics that are um, making this kind of pilgrimage to the crystal. Uh, Chamberlain traps Jen in a cave-in and takes Kira up to the castle. Uh, the new emperor of the Skeksis reinstates Chamberlain to his posi- position. Uh, the emperor tries to drain Kira's life essence, but she calls for help from animals that have been trapped by the Skeksis. They break free and help her to escape. And in this process, um, kind of an evil doctor of the Skeksis is killed. And we also see one of the mystics uh, disappear when that Skeksis dies. Uh, Kira finds Jen and they go to the crystal chamber. The Skeksis are there to complete a ritual that will make them immortal. Jen tries to reach the crystal, but he, uh, but he drops the shard. Uh, so he's going in to reunite the crystal uh, so Kira gets the shard and throws it up to him but she is stabbed by uh, Skeksis 
the mystics are coming to the crystal chamber as Jen puts the shard in place. Then the mystics and the Skeksis merge into a single beings called the earth Skeks is what I uh, saw them listed as. Sure. Uh, but they they like each uh like pairs of a, a mystic and a skexies merge into one glowing tall being and these beings explain that when the crystal broke it split them into two races uh and in gratitude to jen for reuniting the the crystal the urskex revive kira and the urskex then ascend to another plane of existence and the crystal remains on thra the end um, there is also a ton of backstory on that in the comics there's a lot of stuff that is not even kind of explained in this movie that is gone into great detail in the in the comic books um one thing and i think it could be a strength or a weakness depending on what kind of viewer you are there are definitely hints and uh, the viewer is left with a feeling of a much larger world and a much larger mythology Mm -hmm. than what we're given in this film and so if you were looking for a fully encapsulated story from beginning to end and you understand everything you might feel a little disappointed in that but if you're the kind of person who loves larger story worlds that are taking place in other media this is definitely going to be a property for you and i think Um, too that this this one is great because I, I don't know if maybe great. This one is unique because it does give all of that information without building the world. Like you just go into it and Jim Henson is saying, just believe me, just trust me. It's going to be good. Yeah. Um, and I, like watching this, I don't think, I, I think it, it's satisfying and stands by by itself. I don't need all the larger backstory mythology to appreciate the story that was just told. And so Jim Henson and dropping you in and say, come along. <laughs> um, it maybe yeah. leaves you like wanting or or, uh, or not being disappointed to find out that there is more backstory that you can find. But I don't felt like, you know, feel like it was a half story or anything like that, which sometimes yeah. um, books where it's like the first part of a planned trilogy, uh, you know, you finish it and you're kind of like, mm, they left out too much for me. <laughs> like, and I don't know that I'm intrigued yeah. enough to, to want to know more. Um, and I didn't have that reaction at all. Uh, I, I think it definitely can and does stand as a film, but I understand why other storytellers have wanted to engage with it in novels and in comic books and to expand this universe. Yeah, because there really are some, I don't know, pretty big plot and world holes if you really are looking into it. But like you said, if you're just looking for a, I don't know, just a movie, just a, a fun, visually interactive and enjoyably different story this one has a beginning a middle and an end yeah definitely um and when you said like uh, an enjoyably different i i think one interesting aspect of this is that there are parts of it that feel maybe like they echo very closely to other fantasy um genre stories that are very famous so like the quest to go basically destroy you know return this one object the hero's to the kingdom, journey the, to the kingdom uh you know uh, the evil kingdom and by doing so it will destroy their power like that that does feel very tolkien-esque yeah. <laughs> um yeah but the for me what was one of the some of the most interesting things are what get revealed at the end and you realize there's been these breadcrumb clues along the way um about the mystics and um the uh Oh, what's the other race? Skeksis. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, the Skeksis, um, that they were one race that was broken apart. Um, and, and yet we're not like seeing this as a quest from their point of view 
to unite themselves. This is like this other creature has been pulled in and there are our eyes into this other universe. Um, and, and that really does differentiate it for me from, um, other things that maybe people might say, ah, oh, this, this feels a little too close to these other, you know, these other properties. And it does make you wonder too, if like inherently either of those other races knew that this was going to be the outcome. Like the, you wonder the mystics don't seem to even bat an eyelash when the, one of theirs just disappears with no reason essentially. And then the Skeksis don't even seem to know that that's happening on the other end. At least in this movie, they don't give you any sense that it's happened the other way around. And so they don't seem to, I don't know, have any idea or any care, I guess, that that, that they would be connected in that way. And so it makes you wonder if they've just been doing this for so long and these things just happen that that's just how it is. Or if deep down they knew that they were connected in that way. (laughs) Right, yeah. yeah. Just like, oh, it happened again. Oh, hope that doesn't happen to me someday. Oh, Uh, darn. (laughs) Yeah, like the opening of the film, once you get to that finale, you realize the reason the Emperor and Jen's mentor both died around the same time. Uh, is yeah, they, they were they the same being. Um, yeah, they were yeah. the same being, literally. But when you're starting the film, you don't get that at all. Like the death of the yeah, Emperor and, it, and, and a power struggle, to. that yeah. is fine for a fantasy story. And a mentor yeah. dying and sending a young possibly ill-trained or or too little trained individual yeah. on a quest like that i mean that also, is actually yeah. required uh, for, for fantasy <laughs> stories um so so you you don't like bat your eye you just think it's part of the world building and it's only at the end that you circle back and you're like oh okay that was the first clue um yeah but it was presented in such a way that you don't appreciate it till the the third act yeah, and I I especially like I I can't remember if it's the second or third like instance of this when um Kira cuts one of the Skeksis' hands and then you see the mystic notice his hand is bleeding and it's I don't know if it's I can't, honestly can't remember if it's the second or third instance but it's like you go oh like direct connection yes yeah because yeah, the first are are like implied or or like you don't even see it like the dots are too far apart for us to yeah draw the line between them earlier and at that point like the editing is is making like okay one to one right here boom boom connect those please yeah, like audience. don't miss this this is <laughs> <Yeah>. important <laughs> um and that again for me is is where i found like the most interesting thematic ideas um of this um, like you, you mentioned the hero's journey. So much of this is just the hero's journey and that's not a problem. That's what we look for in stories, but there needs to be like the other spice that gets added to the story for it to not feel like a knockoff of the hero's journey. Right. And this definitely, yeah. definitely does d- deliver on that. So in our script, we often like we, we, we have the chance to jot down a few notes of things we want to cover about or moments we like for characters. And one that you put is when um, Kira floats or sprouts her wings. Uh, what is yes. it about that moment that you enjoy so much? I just, so I like when that it comes just at this moment of like, she knows this is fine. Like she just says, come on and grabs him and jumps. And you can just imagine what Jen is thinking at that time. Like you're suicidal because why are we jumping off this cliff? But <laughs> within seconds, there are her wings and she's just ready and, and it's just covered like when he says, well, I don't have wings. And she said, of course not. You're a boy. And just leaves it at that. Like that is 
the only explanation we have. And it would make, I always have wondered whether Kira had more knowledge or stories or something about the Gelfling culture because Jen doesn't seem to know anything and Kira seems to know everything. And so for, for Jen to say, wait a second, this something's not right here. And for her to just know, well, yeah, of course, like that's totally normal that you don't have wings. You're a boy. But I also just like that there's that, that I guess, small feminist empowerment thing there just like i have the thing that will save us i've got it don't worry yeah it definitely feels like you said she somehow has more knowledge of her culture and i'm trying to remember in the flashbacks like she definitely we definitely saw her being raised by other gelflings that were killed uh and then she's taken by the podlings with with jen do we see him with Gelflings, like what I, I know, we no, see him you basically like being carried see, by yeah. mystics. The mystics pick him up as a baby, and I think uh-huh. Kira's mom hides her like as a small child. So there had to have been some time that she spent with her with more pot with more Gelflings before being separated. But yeah, I think Jen was like an infant when he when he went with the mystics. Yeah, um, and I remember. Uh, when I when I was watching that scene and they fall off the cliff and she sprouts uh, the rings and she uh, and she's just so nonchalant about it. I thought that was the perfect way to uh-huh. handle it um, because there's yeah. the the combination of Jen's awe of like what in the world is going on. Yeah, what is happening? And, and her just this is commonplace. Like this is just what is. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, yeah. Like this. Like of yeah, course it, we're doing it this way. How else would we do it? Yeah. Um, and you had a couple other moments that were sort of like that when he was in her world. Um, so at this point, they're kind of both out of their comfort zone. But when he's first right. in the forest and he's like sinking and she like just talks to animals and gets like a giant fish swamp creature thing to pick them up <laughs> yes. uh, out of the water. Like she just has a casualness with her abilities. Um, that's saying again like i don't see these especially just all right he has kind of this wonder of like how are you doing what you are doing um yeah side to him and there's definitely that feeling that kira has been out in the world a little more like being with the podlings it sounds like she was more involved you know she had to help them and be with them and and wasn't just taken care of where you kind of get the impression that that jen was just you know, mentored in this all encompassed that we are taking care of you kind of a way. And so it is sort of out of the blue when he says, you have to do this for him to say, wait, what, how, how do you expect me to do this? I don't know what you're talking about. And then he finds Kira who this, all of this outside world stuff is just her life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, So like hero's journey, like he, um, you know, leaves his known world and enters the unknown world, but they always find the mentor for whom the unknown world is not unknown. Like it's just their world. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> and so, for, or else uh, they die quickly, and it's not as much fun. <laughs> yes. Uh, and so Kira is is fulfilling that role as um both like a fellowship member, but also uh, a bit of the mentor role. Um, though she definitely is still uh, in the dark when it comes to things about the crystal. So it's yes. not like the all-knowing but, but, I mean, uh, Gandalf to be character. Honest, <laughs> so is Jen. Is yes. pretty in the dark about the crystal too. Yeah, definitely. They're all just sort of like, okay, we're doing this. 
Um, we mentioned uh, Kira being raised by the podlings, and I just want to say my um, he he just turned five, and he came in uh, when I was watching Dark Crystal, and it was the scene when Jen uh, first sees the podling village, and you see all this great puppetry work that's happening for all these different oh, characters. Oh yeah, and the dancing, and, and yeah. yeah, and he was just watching it for a minute. And he's like, "This is like the Masaki Cantina, but with puppets." <laughs> <laughs> and it was a, a really good connection like it was just the uh a, yes. one of those moments that filmmakers use um to establish like an otherness in a, a space yeah. where it's not advancing the story it's about creating a feeling of like um both the character and the audience doesn't quite know what what this place is uh and, but right. there can be this is something uh, unknown we haven't been here before yeah, and, and some simultaneous like wonder, and also like it can be a little off-putting because it can be just so so different that it, there so can be different. some discomfort even as you want to see um, what it is that they're showing. And um, for Jim Henson, that Podling Village, I think was like it, it was a public uh, a puppetry masterpiece of um, it, like I was I was like I said earlier there's still that wonder for this film of like, how did they do that? Whereas like basically everything from Jurassic park on, you just kind of say they did it with computers and you, you move on. Right. Yeah. Uh, but this being in 1982, uh, you're watching it and you're like, how many puppets are around? And where are the puppeteers exactly in, yeah. <laughs> you know, in, in this world? And I, I actually read something about that and I was reading about its production time and it took, it was, I believe six years between Jim Henson reading this work of the, that was the inspiration behind the movie and it actually hitting theaters. And during that time, you know, he was recruiting people and, and you know, investing in things. And one of the things he did was go to visit a, essentially a special effects factory to see if they could use the effects in the show and eventually decided not to. And I just, part of me wants to applaud him. <laughs> Thank you so much for believing that you could do this with puppets because it is incredible. <laughs> It really is. Um, also, the whatever the beetle uh, monsters are named, Gar Gartham is that what it was? Gartham, yeah, yes, Gartham. That is another. Like you're just watching that, and you're kind of like, all right, how how are there, there this many yeah. doing what they're doing? <laughs> and the, the land striders, the land striders are people yeah. on giant stilts, like actually running around in those <laughs> costumes and stilts. Like it's in, it's intense. I'm just, it's incredible. I could never do anything like that. Um, anything, uh, I, I feel like we've talked, um, a bit more about Kira. So what is it, uh, what, what makes Jen stand out for you? I think, um, like we said, Kira is like the, the one, the kind of a mentor figure and has this sense of, um, or a greater understanding of the world, um, that Jen is lacking. So she constantly is able to like snap a few pieces together for him uh and also save him with some skills that he's he doesn't possess and he doesn't know that she does until the moment that that she uses them um but what what makes jen interesting is the the like protagonist character of the film that's gonna be driving the the story i was thinking about that and i honestly think that kira is just dragging jen along like I know where the castle is. I know how to get us there. I know how, like, just come on. It's okay. We can do this. But I, one thing I will say for Jen is that he is persistent despite, despite having no idea what he's supposed to do. The, the mystic, his mentor basically just said, 
It's you're you're the chosen one. Your job to heal the crystal. Follow the sun. Get the get the shard, and then heal the crystal. Like those were the instructions. How? And so, I definitely have to applaud his his persistence. Like even though he had no idea what was going on, he just was keeping at it. He knew that this is what he was supposed to do, and that it was important for really the fate of the world. And I sometimes wonder if he fully understood what that meant and i think that kira maybe did because she had seen what was what would happen when the skeksis ruled and so it was more important for her to keep jen on task i guess and so even though until the you know the final scene when he is ready to do this and ready to heal the stone and he still drops the shark (laughs) i just think isn't that all of us but then there's Kira to save the day. <laughs> Tosses him the shard, heals the stone, everybody's good. But it there's well, so much not, about Jen. At first, she's dead as a result of That's true. That. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Toss shard, get stabbed. That's how it worked for Kira. But I will say that, that all of that makes Jen very relatable. Because how many of us are just doing the things that we're pretty sure we're supposed to be doing with just minimal idea of how they're going to turn out or really how we're supposed to get there? And hoping a mentor just comes along to help help point us in the right way and give us yes. a skill set or two that we're missing. Who has wings? <laughs> yes. Oh, I, I like that. Um, and this, I, I mean, it, it sometimes it gets mocked of the idea of like, Luke knows Obi-Wan Kenobi for an hour and is now off on a quest to destroy the Empire. Frodo liked <laughs> right. it when the old crazy wizard dropped by a few times and now he's on a quest to destroy the entire, you know, <laughs> the evil Empire right. and save the universe. Right. And, uh, you know, you could add Jen to that, that list of characters who had kind of the crazy old mentor that asked them mm-hmm. to do a thing and now, gosh darn it, they're going to do that thing. <laughs> you know? Yeah, because he told me I needed to. Part of me hopes I don't ever have that kind of mentor. <laughs> you need to go save the universe. I don't tell I don't me to do a thing. I don't have time to tell you how. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the other, I think that one of the telling lines for Jen's uh, personality, I guess, is at the very beginning after Mentor has passed away and he's saying like, I am not ready to do this alone. And then he just sits there for a minute and then says, well, alone then. It's like <laughs> anybody can jump in at any time and tell me they're coming with me. And then when that doesn't happen, he says, OK, well, I guess it's by myself then. And so you're grateful when he meets up with Kira because you definitely want him to have someone with him. It just feels better, I guess, to have had to have that guide, that mentor with him still. Um, but at the same time, you think, good for you, Jen. Like, wait to just do it. Wait to just think, I can I can do it. I can do it by myself. Yeah, I think there is something appealing about that kind of character, which is why it, you, we find uh, him or her so often. Um, the slightly in over their head, but going to try their best to carry it on. Because like you said, like that's something that resonates or that we can feel a connection with. I don't feel a connection with uh the the wise old wizard or the one who sprout <laughs> wings at a moment's notice and and, and knows yeah. how to solve the problems uh and that's why I, I one reason why the hero's journey resonates so much is like we're constantly entering a new stages of life like when we're comfortable with a stage of life we tend to move on to one that we're so now right a little more uncomfortable with 
and there's a little bit of feeling, uh, you know, that feeling of being a little bit lost of, okay, well, yeah. you know, I, when I was a senior in high school, I knew how that system worked. Now I'm in college. Okay. I, once again, different system. quite lost. <laughs> yes. And I don't quite know what to do. You get comfortable with that. And it's like, oh, time to go and find a real job. And it's like, hmm, <laughs> I don't, don't quite know it how to do It all seems that. to come in like three year increments too, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, About yeah. every three years, uh, the world gets changed up. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, uh, okay. I've done the dating thing for a while now. Oh, I'm going to actually get, you know, get engaged and get married. And then like, okay, newlywed, we, we figured this out. Oh, child. Okay. Uh, Kid. Oh, now. now two kids. Oh, now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and, and so we are that... constantly getting the, these, these moments where it's like, I'm not the master of this world anymore. Like I, I, I had kind of gained the skills I needed for that previously known world. Now what? And that's why, I, I think we we like these characters like Jen to be. Yeah. And how do you use the skills you've been gaining with each of these stages for this one that you don't know anything about? Mm -hmm. And I do like in that first scene where Jen meets Agra, where she's talking about, you know, the the sun's aligning and what that's going to mean, the end of the world and all of this. And he says, she says, it means the end of the world or the beginning. Big change could be good, sometimes good, sometimes bad. And I just thought. <laughs> All the time. That's that's literally what you can do. A big change either is something good or something bad. Those are your choices. And I like that she put that the end of the world could potentially also be the beginning. And you can tell that she has been around for millennia, probably. In the comics, you find out that she's an immortal being. So she's been around since the beginning. And you can tell that she's just like, stuff happens, man. Like, this is going to be important. But I don't know which way it's going to go yet. <laughs> um, I want to circle back to an idea now that we've kind of dissected the characters a bit. Of uh, for me, the 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 special sauce that made this version of the hero's journey more satisfying is the idea of this ancient race that split into two and was now reunited. Um, I was just listening to a podcast. I think it was the good place, the podcast. And they were talking with a philosophy professor about essentially like when you sometimes have to try and separate art from the artist, like, can you enjoy Bill Cosby anymore? Can you enjoy right. Michael Jackson anymore? Like how, how do we deal with yeah. this? And he said, all of us have different levels. Uh, like, like there's all these different value systems that we could apply to individuals and we're all at different levels within there. What is, is we sometimes struggle with is, is when there's individuals who are like so extreme on something that we want to value and so extreme on something we don't want to value, particularly with artists where like, and, and with artists, we see these extremes a lot where there's like the creativity is so high, but the morality is so low. Like now mm -hmm. we really struggle. But like if we looked around and like everyone had meters for morality, intelligence, uh, creativity, you know, whatever, you know, athleticism, like a video like we're game. all going to be at different different levels of all of these things. Um, and it's only at the extremes where we really feel like we've got to make some choices about like how how are we going to how are we going to wrestle with this? And in this right. story, like we we see these beings that literally were broken into two extremes uh, and we don't see a whole ton of the mystic culture but it feels fairly yeah. separate fairly um uh uh i mean what's the word I'm like? like they're not proactive creatures the mystics oh right pretty sedentary from, from, from what we see uh whereas um the the other side we see like these like uh power mad willing to duel each other to, to gain power yeah um, like very very active and aggressive versus very passive and distant and removed um and 
yeah. know, like controlling the world versus like barely anyone seems to realize they're part of the world. Over Just existing here. in the world. Well, and yeah. even right down to what their homes look like. Like when you think about the mystics, they're living in the side of a mountain in caves and drawing with sand and things like, like that like it's all very natural and yeah just just existing in their world and then the skexies have this giant like almost burnt tree metallic tree looking thing where they exist in the basement of it and it's all like their clothes are very victorian and they're like they those eating utensily things that they have on their fingers like really are reminiscent of of, of like you know 200 years ago kind of a thing and and it's just such a stark light and dark and you get this very like soft and i don't know yeah kind of passive i guess feeling with the mystics and it's just as complete 180 as you can get from that with the skexies yeah and and um the, those two extremes they they need to be united, right? Like that's that's like the message of the film. Right, yeah. You know, at the end, yeah. it's like uh, both these ends of the spectrum have, are are imperfect, um, and that's like uh, I mean, it feels weird to say like this is what for me elevates the story because that is an element of fantasy or sci-fi storytelling that you see all the time of a character split into two, you know, different sides of themselves. I know there's a Star Trek right. original series episode with Kirk where that happens. There's also when they travel to the alternate dimension where there's the evil goatee versions. Uh, and then there's like, <laughs> I, like I know there's that. a Buffy episode with uh, uh, Xander getting split into two versions of himself uh, and yep. like two extreme uh, like, like it's and, and they need to be united again. So that's an idea that we see added to story or, you know, present in stories before and after the dark crystal. Um, but in a lot of those stories, like the inciting incident is that split. And I guess like because of the prologue, you could say that that inciting incident really, you know, was that split, but it's not really, cause you don't even find out that yeah. that happened until the very end for us as an audience. So uh, it, it's the way the idea gets presented in this one for me is unique and special enough that it was, it was like really satisfying when we got to that part. And I did, I guess when you think about it, the split and the reuniting was I mean it had to happen or the two races were going to eliminate themselves. I mean they were the Skeksis were trying to kill all of the the Gelflings because the, of the prophecy, but slowly they were dying or or hurting or whatever, killing each other, and without being reunited into the one balanced being, they would have slowly killed each other off. And then there would have been no chance of reuniting them. Yeah. And this is one area where like, when you start to think about it, where it's like, is there more backstory to this? Cause like, how did these cultures actually like function <laughs> is, is one of the, yeah. the like story holes that you'd want a prequel to fill it, which is what it seems like some of the books may have addressed. There is a and lot of the prequels. Netflix, <laughs> uh, the, the Netflix series is also going to be a prequel. Um, uh, that, so I would imagine some of this is going to be addressed there. I mean, and then like, the other obvious thing at the end of the movie is like well, the sequel, like, well, what happens to Thrawn now? Because <laughs> like, the Skeksis have yeah. been dominating and ruling the world and killing off the Gelflings. Uh, and, and so what, what is next? <laughs> and, and legitimately, like there might be a handful of pod people left, but then it's just Jen and Kira. Like yeah. <laughs> the Skeksis and the mystics are gone. You haven't so really are run into podlings? any other. Probably podlings. 
I would guess there's still podlings out there, but are there any other Gelflings yeah. on this world? Yeah, right. Because, I mean, they've kind of made it clear that Jen thought he was the last one. And that uh, yeah. kind of means that the mystics thought that he was the last one. But how big is Thra? Like, other side of the world, kind of? Or is it one of those things where you can travel it all in a day? Because the mystics went from wherever they were living to the Skeksis place pretty quick. Slowly, but it, not in a lot of time. Like they were they were like hermits, like out in the middle of nowhere by themselves. Yeah. You know, just cut off and separated along. from... Uh-huh. Yeah, so uh, I I understand again why like so many creators want to dig into this because you are left with like some of these questions that I don't think they're plot holes. I think they're ideas you want to see sketched in and filled in when you start. Yeah, just like them. options for expansion. Uh huh. Yeah, I like that that way of thinking about it. <laughs> um, is there anything else that uh, like stood out to you that we want to make sure we touched on in this discussion? Um, before we move on to characteristics or yeah yeah uh, including that uh no i think that's pretty much everything okay um if we were going to try and describe uh characteristics for jen and kira then like what uh like what makes these characters tick do you think well i've kind of already expressed my opinion of how jen sort of just gets pushed through what he needs to do but um and just that you know the obligation of that vague understanding that the world might end if he doesn't complete this quest but not i don't think he you know fully grasped that but just the determination to keep going and i think that um kira kind of has a little more of that understanding it kind of makes it a little more i guess makes her feel a little more like she knows what she's doing and that might have to do with those powers that Jen didn't have and didn't know existed and so suddenly she looks like a superhero in comparison but <laughs> yeah I do think uh, that there's something in Kira that is like inherently, I will help you because she just as easily could have been like, well, have fun. Hope that works out for you. But <laughs> like, look at she... the weird gelf leg that fell in the water. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> look at that crazy guy. But it, she knew, at least I believe that she knew more of what the end result would be if Jen didn't succeed. Even if she didn't know ahead of time that it needed to happen. You know, she may not have known the crystal needs to heal in order for this to happen. When she heard from Jen, it was like, this is it. We have to do this. Of these two, which we have the sense of, or at least what we know of in the story, that they're the last of their race. Um, do you, do you think they're like seeking a sense of belonging or a community? Um, I, I think I feel that a little bit more um... for, like why Kira hangs around and and stays with him and like she immediately like brings him to her community like that's her her first yeah. action um but Jen almost just seems surprised like oh look there's another gal like <laughs> I don't know yeah right oh hey and not even super surprised about it but I do think that I mean they both came from their own communities neither of them was really on their own they both came from you know, groups of people that they were living with or things that they were living with. But I do think there was that this is my kind, this is my people. And so I'm sure there was at least a little bit of, I'm going to stick with you because you're like me. Right. That, um, and I guess for, for Kira, that is like, 
she's we we, we already referenced how like she's in the uh, Jen's unknown world. He is this unknown element <laughs> that enters her world, even though he should be like the most known and familiar thing. He is still this like what <laughs> you know aspect yeah. that gets dropped <laughs> on her, on her lap. Uh, and and in so. Uh, yes, in her swamp, and they do what do they call it when they mind meld? I can't remember what they're dream fasting. Dream fasting. They dream fast to get each other's backstory uh, in a in a lovely montage with with some cute mm-hmm. baby puppetry because plot. <laughs> um, and, and so I guess they they do get that immediate connection. Um, and it takes care of a lot of like the need to like. So where are you from? Any, any siblings? <laughs> <What's your> sign? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> any siblings. That was good. <laughs> you know, uh, and it, it just does still, um, I, I guess I'm still trying to like put my finger on exactly what motivates Kira to join Jen on this mission, I guess. See, that's why I think it, for her, it's just, it's the knowing that it could go wrong but it needs to go right i guess because she seemed to just jump on board and be ready to do this and be ready to i don't know participate or help or whatever was necessary and i'd like to believe that as a person who just really likes kira (laughs) to think that that would just be who she was you know jen podlings whatever that she was just that person that saw someone who needed help and said i can help you with that and in this case it just you know was a little more serious of a situation but that she could say i can see that you need help and i have the ability to help you so i will yeah she definitely does seem empathetic like it's one of her characteristics um and uh and and with that comes like the a one of the motivations for her actions is this um desire to help others um like uh, we see it again when they go to rescue the podlings that have been trapped like there's no question of their own safety or even the greater mission it's just oh there's people in need (laughs) and we're gonna go help we got we got to save these podlings yeah Uh uh-huh and uh yeah like I, I think that does speak to her character and does help to provide some of that motivation all right um i just want to touch on <laughs> one last note that you had where you said uh jen is a, a bit one note sometimes pretty clueless <laughs> and he relies on everyone else mostly kira and you think you said yeah. she's brave caring and clever and jen owes his success to her like yeah the mission would not have worked <laughs> without kira I think right that, like, that, i mean in numerous times like we could probably yeah. count four or five times where it would have just gone completely wrong without kira um and and so i i think that's interesting though because we said like for audiences we often align ourselves more with the kind of clueless one uh and yeah i think Kara is more well-rounded and I think that's another break from some other um, storytelling in this tradition where like when you're getting the fellowship, like there's the, the mysterious loner who has all the skills um, that aligns right. themselves with the mission. You just for a happened while. to show up when you yeah. needed them. And, and, and like they're, they're, they often remain a little bit of a cipher, a little bit of an enigma for the audience. And here it's Jen, I think who remains a bit more of an enigma than Kira. Yeah, we do learn a lot 
about Kira and just are sort of left with the initial information about Jen. Other than kind of learning in the dream fasting scene, learning a little bit about how he came to be with the mystics, there's not really much else you know about him. Mm-hmm. Which does, um, like, when we come to the end of the film, there's no, like, hint of an epilogue of, and they lived happily ever after, or they sorted out the world's uh, now very messy political nope. situation, or they saved their species, <laughs> they found another community of gelflings, whatever it may be. <laughs> it's uh, just, and they left the end. Yes, yeah, the the combo species left, now Thra, you, like, it, it feels like a positive note that it's ending on. Like, they completed their mission, they... Yeah. Uh, united the species I, that needed to be united again but uh, when you're like left thinking about the future of the world of thra i kind of hope kara's in charge not jen <laughs> yeah let's hope it's a let's hope it's a um a queen situation yeah. uh, but i don't know if you noticed at the end of the movie the big ominous tree thing that the skexies are in where the crystal is is white at the end of the movie and it's been black through the whole thing and yeah. so like it definitely has that visual of a cleansed or mm-hmm. or purified or something in some way like this is no longer just where the skexies are this is you know now a different type of area or something but and um, i in your synopsis you mentioned that the crystal stays on thra and that just and i had not even thought about that it never crossed my mind that the they left and the crystal stayed was like well now what is it just a pretty decoration or is there something else <laughs> Like what uh, is it, it gonna crack again or yeah. what's going on? And they're gonna be on another plane, like, oh man. Ah. <laughs> Here we go again. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, so so th- there's those questions that get left, and I don't want that to feel like we're saying this is a problem with the film, because I think the magic of the film is that you just kind of get lost in the the world that Jim Henson and Frank Oz built. And the Yeah, agreed the magical storytelling of these, this puppetry where like, if you are ever like getting pulled out, it's where you're like, how did they do that? Kind of pulled out. Not like what, what is going on? Why? Yeah. Why not like it? I am totally lost, but just like I am yeah. mesmerized by what is happening here. Yeah. And so I think it's there are very some... successful uh, in that part of it, yes. which is what I think most of us take away from watching the Dr. Crystal. It's not yes. sitting like, well, now what's going to happen to this world? <laughs> Cause you really only think about that if you're like us and you really have to think about that. Uh-huh. Because I'll admit, I didn't really ever think about that in the dozens of other times I had watched this movie or shown it to other people or anything like that. It had never occurred to me to think what was going to happen afterward. (laughs) Apparently, I'm very self-centered. But I think that this movie is a really prime example of what Jim Henson is capable of. Because it doesn't feel like he dumbed it down at all because of those plot holes like he didn't say well we're not fully understanding that so we won't put that in the show um so that this makes more sense or something he just went with a story that he appreciated and that he respected and that he wanted to make a good movie of and found a way to make it to his specifications and i have to respect that i have to respect him just wanting to do this and thinking i bet we can do it and spending six years trying to do it because that just feels insane now how many marvel movies come out in six years (laughs) and they and it just jim henson worked so hard and in this timeline i was looking at earlier it had you know here's where it starts and in the meantime like three seasons of the muppet show come out and they film the muppet movie and like all of these things happen and i just think he is still working on this movie because he believes it will be good 
And I haven't really been disappointed by Jim Henson before. And I probably won't be, <laughs> I mean, by a Henson production. But there, I just, I love his, him saying, I don't want to use special effects. It's not going to accomplish what I want. And then putting all of that effort into making just a completely absorbing world of puppets. Yeah, I remember um, when I first like really became aware of The Dark Crystal, it was reading some book about the history of the Muppets when I was a teenager, because that was the kind of teenager I was. And uh, yeah. it, it was talking about... I did about that too, don't worry. For The Dark Crystal, they were like inventing new ways of, of puppeteering, new aspects to put in. And the ones I remember uh, were putting air bladders in their cheeks so you could see a little rise and fall as they were breathing. Um, yes. And that you know that obviously is not like you don't see that in Fozzie Bear, <laughs> um, <laughs> right? Uh, yes, there is so, definitely a difference between the Creature Shop and the Muppets, and I appreciate that dis- that difference. That's where Labyrinth falls to strictly yeah. in the Creature Shop realm, <laughs> and also like the the way the blinking happens for the the puppets in Dark in Dark Crystal, like it's just yeah. a different level, um, and it's not like for a lot of these, like they were inventing the ways to do some of this, to make this feel different and went. lived in. Yeah. And, and like one of my favorite parts of it was at the very beginning, um, a lot of the, uh, Oh, what's the, the evil species again? Skeksis. <laughs> Skeksis. There it is. <laughs> the Skeksis. There's these shots of them holding still as light from the dark crystal hits their eyes. And it's just puppets holding still. It should not be a very visually yeah. interesting shot, but I was mesmerized <laughs> by really the little is. twitches yeah. and and the air bladders like give you a sense of breathing up and down. And, yeah, yeah, and just a tiny little motion in, in the head. It was just so fascinating to watch. And yeah, and that being um, said, they the Skeksis are way more fun to to look at, albeit horrifying and scary, than any of the other species. Yeah. Just all, like you said, like all those little twitches and, and their, you know, the way their fingers move and the way that their face reacts, like it really is just, just breathtaking. Yeah, and that doesn't have to be there to tell the story, but the fact that it is there just makes me love this movie so much more. That that much care yes. was taken into these shots of puppets holding still, and it's long shots of like like five to ten seconds of just one puppet head staring at the crystal. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I am just, I feel like Jim Henson was that type of a creator where almost every movie, everything that he did, he was inventing the next way to do it, the way to do it more realistic or um, I guess better for his puppeteers and just different things that were always, he was just always moving forward. There was like mm-hmm. Disney in that way, I guess, but just, he was never just, this is a puppet and it does this. It was, what can we make it do? Yeah. I like that. And uh, I, I think that's why like the Muppets and the Jim Henson creatures up, like there's something special when you see their work um, that just uh, there's something, I, I guess, indefinable about it, but it's just like, ah, oh, that's just well done. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like when you hear, it's almost like a Lucasfilm thing. Like when you hear Lucasfilm, you think, oh, well, that's going to be good. You know, like that's going to be visually entertaining. And mm-hmm. I think that with Jim Henson, like when you hear that something is from the creature shop, you just think, yeah, mad respect. It's going to be fun. And yeah. I was worried initially when they said Netflix is, you know, going to do a Dark Crystal prequel. I went, oh, this is, I don't know. I, I just don't know if CGI I can support I this. Yeah. 
I did too. And I thought, don't ruin this. Please don't ruin this. And then when I saw the images, I went, nope, puppets. I'm in. <laughs> I'm sold. I mean, it's, uh, I, it's a very similar thing. But in The Last Jedi, when the ghost, Force Ghost Yoda shows up, I just was like, oh, that's a puppet. <laughs> like, yeah. I just knew that wasn't CGI Yoda. That was Frank yeah, Oz CGI. doing puppet yes. Yoda. And yes, that was part of the timeline too. quality to it. Yeah, there's something just, and I guess it's because we are children of this era, that it just feels so lifelike to see the Muppets. You, it's almost like seeing a celebrity. You know, it's, mm-hmm. that is really Yoda. You know, it's not the CGI version. It's really Yoda. And it doesn't matter that Yoda is a puppet. That is the real Yoda. And I and will not off. be convinced otherwise. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, this is this is the way it is supposed to be. And I think that's probably... Like my love of all of this stuff extended to Sesame Street when I was a small child and Fraggle Rock when I was a little bit older. And I've loved pretty much every iteration of any Muppet anything. My favorite one being Muppet Treasure Island. It's totally underrated. But there's just something about that that just feels right, I guess. Like these these puppets, this these worlds that are created with them, even when they're not our world, just are the way it's supposed to be. All right. I think that's probably a good note to end on, unless you have any final thoughts. Uh, My only final thought would be that I attribute my connection with Jim Henson because we share a birthday. Oh, well, there you go. (laughs) So if there, if it means anything, take it with a grain of salt. We have this connection because we share a birthday. (laughs) Oh, I, mean, I wish Jim Henson was still making stories for us. It was there's two. He, like, it felt like everything he did was lightning in a bottle, and yet it was just you can't yes. say that about everything that he does. In but fact, it kind of was. One of the things that I like so much about this movie actually, I think, came about later because we went to Chicago and they one of the museums was doing this giant exhibit of Jim Henson stuff because it was like his like the 25th anniversary of something or for his birthday. That's what it was. It was his birthday because we were in Chicago over my birthday. And it had everything from like the original Kermit Muppet to footage of his like footage of him like brainstorming. They had journal pages that he had scribbled in. And one of the things they had on display was Kira's dress from this movie. And I remember just sitting there being like, this is the best thing I have ever seen. Like I will never see anything cooler than this. But they had Bert and Ernie and Rolf and I mean, just tons, they had tons of footage that you could watch. And I just walked around just in awe. I spent way more time probably in that exhibit than we did in the entire museum, the rest of the museum. But it just really brought you into his creative process and how much of a genius he was. And I will never forget being able to see those things because in my lifetime, I probably won't get to see them again. But that's when I saw that dress, I just thought so much work went in to the little details of this movie and it's evident in the swamp scene too just like how much is happening behind the scenes and it's just it's just wonderful all right well thank you lena for joining me on this episode thank you listeners for downloading it and listening for show notes and links to all the other great dueling genre shows you can go to duelinggenre.com also please subscribe to the protagonist podcast in your podcast app of choice and please leave us a review that really helps us out we would like to thank Nick English, who designed our logo, and Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to go check out episode number 49, when we talked about Christmas Eve on Sesame Street, or episode 197, when we talked about Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. 
or episode number 225 when we talked about Hal's Moving Castle. Some of the some of this idea of unification. It reminded me of some of Hal's Moving Castle. Uh, there. You can reach us... And uh, I am by... not familiar, so I'm going to have to check out that episode. Okay. Uh, you can reach us by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod or at Jay Dorowski. And our producer, Andrew, is at Disminute. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. Thank you again for listening. And we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. which is that other race that um, was, oh, I just got an error message. Uh, Can you still hear me?